So, yeah. Hey there, everyone. Welcome to Push-Pull Podcast, Stories of Human Migration. I'm David Arnsbarger, AP World History teacher at James Clemens High School in Madison, Alabama. Today, our guest is my favorite student, Maria Fermin. Maria has a very interesting story for us. Um, I'll go ahead and let her tell the story because it's just so interesting. And and I'll let all of our audience know that Maria's story is one of the inspirations that I had to start this podcast because it is an incredible story of migration, uh, a pattern of migration, and a very recent one. So, Maria, welcome to Push Pull Podcast. Um, go ahead and get right into your story. Tell okay. us, you know, where you were living a few years ago and how you got here. Okay, so basically, I come from Venezuela. And I come from a small city that is called Anaco. <laughs> and it was um, around 20, 21 that we came, me and my family came here to the United States. It was a variety of reasons. But the main one was that um, one of our neighbors are part of the government. So we have a couple of problems with them and eventually they um sorry excuse my english but i think the word is threatened against our threatened. life mm-hmm. yeah um they shoot at our house actually so it eventually just becomes worse and worse so so uh yeah, you're living in Venezuela a few years ago. Yeah. You had problems with the neighbor for some reason. They told the government or the police or somebody. Yeah, they are part of the government. Yeah, and so, oh, the neighbor was part of the government? Yeah. So, for whatever reason, they started shooting at your house. And I would say that's a pretty big push effect. If somebody yeah. started shooting at my house and I thought they might do it again, I would fear for my life and I think I would leave. So, um, where did it go from there? Well, we tried to go to the police and, you know, take action, but obviously it didn't work. So we just, you know, think that we need to go out of here. And we didn't thinking, you know, going to another state because they will eventually find us. So we decide to come to the United States. I think, if I'm not mistaken, we lived and in the beginning of October and yeah first we went to one of the estates that is pretty close to Colombia um it's called Zulia it's the state of Zulia so we went there and then we crossed the border to Colombia after that we stayed in Colombia a couple of days and then we fly to Mexico we arrived at uh Mexico City, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, after that, we went to Monterrey, I think, if I'm not, yeah, Monterrey. Um, now, is Monterrey, like, on the U.S. border? It's in Mexico, but on the U.S. border? Yeah, I think it's a, uh, an estate that is, you know, in the border. Okay. Um, yeah, we crossed the border, like, uh, for going to the town that is, you know, like, really the border, you know, when in the river. Mm-hmm. Um, that it, river you're referring to is the Rio Grande River. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, yeah, it took us a couple of hours to go there. 
But yeah, eventually we crossed the river and <laughs> it was um, kind of scary because I don't know how to swim. So I was like, I hope it's not too deep, but fortunately it's, it's not. So yeah, it's kind of interesting when I think about that back then because just like crossing the border and when I step, you know, in the United States, That was the moment when I became an illegal immigrant, you know? Yeah, it's it, just like a specific moment. Yeah, it's it's interesting. It's kind of funny the way that you say it, because I remember the first time you told me the story, and you said, Coach Arns, this is when I became an illegal immigrant. Yeah. And it just stuck with me because you know, we hear so much about immigration in our country and illegal immigration and illegal immigration, and, and a lot of us don't. And I don't know all the laws and rules and all that. I've learned yeah. a lot, actually, from you in this process, but I can't imagine, Maria, I really can't imagine going through what you had to go through to get here, um, to even to get close enough to the border, to you and your family maintaining your safety from officials in Mexico and then having to cross over and, and, and not knowing how to swim. I hadn't heard that part of the story yet. You, yeah. uh, you, so um, just how scary that must be. And, and, you know, there's so many people that come to our country from other places and they say, oh, yeah, well, if we flew here on an airplane yeah. or, you know, we took a boat maybe or something. But, you know, your story is an incredible story of really of bravery and wanting to do it. So, yeah, you're getting pushed out, but the pull here is to come here uh, for opportunity and things like that. So, um, so once you got into America and once you became an illegal immigrant, where did it go from there? Well, um. <clears throat> we stay in a refugee, obviously, um, around maybe 24 hours, I think, because when we arrive at the at the refugee, um, it's different for each person. Like uh, persons that are like single, it stays more time there, and the ones that have family typically are like released more early, but you don't know. Like you stay there for a while they took your digital um fingerprint fingerprints and take you a photo took a photo of you and also your um like your date of birth and your name and all of those things and so this is a pro the processing center at the refugee camp in in texas you, right yeah did you have you had your passport so you could at least prove who you were and give some identification there yeah. Uh, were there other people there in the processing center from other countries? Oh, yeah. Uh, they were people from Haiti, I think. Haiti? Mm -hmm. Uh-huh. Um, people from Cuba, um, another Venezuelans, people from Nicaragua, and I think El Salvador. Um, what else? Yeah. yeah that sounds like uh, um, uh, normally what we... I think what we hear about or what we see coming through. Yeah. And then how did you get up to Huntsville area? Oh, well, um, when we, like, get released, uh, we took a bus from there because I don't really know where the refugee was. I just saw a, a thing that says, welcome to Texas, but I don't really okay. know where it was. Um, and then we took a bus to, I think, El Paso, Texas, to a church who helps people, immigrant people, mm -hmm. and they help us to uh, buy uh, airplane tickets, you know. Um, so 
my stepfather was here in Madison. So basically just uh, we uh, took a flight to like Houston to um, I think was Atlanta, mm-hmm. you know, in Georgia, and then to from there to here. All right, so so you had your stepfather was here, so you knew somebody here in the area, mm-hmm. and you were able to um, make that connection. Sometimes we call that chain migration. Somebody's here, and you you uh, sort of follow somebody here. Yeah. Um, so that's a, that's a good opportunity. Um, you tell all this story with a smile on your face. You always have, it, it, even the scary parts, yeah. you always have a smile on your face. You have a very positive attitude, Maria. Um, but how, how, when you first land, when you first came across the Rio Grande, did you have a sense of of release? Did you have a sense did, a sense of calmness, excitement? How were you feeling when you got into the United States for the first time? It was a mix of feelings because, like. In that moment, I was just like, you know, the adrenaline. I wasn't thinking right. But when I have, you know, I calm down and sit down because actually when I was crossing the river, I didn't eat during the day. So I was like really um, like, you know, tired and I was pallid, you know, I, uh, like pale. I was you, pale. you felt like you might pass out. Yeah. During crossing, um, I was like, "Mom, I think I will pass out," and she say, "Pass out there, not here, there." So, yeah, when I just like took, you know, my breath, and I could just like, when I, you know, I was, I have color in my face again, and not just like white, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I w- I was thinking, and it was too much things, but because one of those things was like. You know, I can't go back to Venezuela anymore, and my home is there. So it was pretty hard, but at the same time, I feel safe. So, yeah. Yeah, and and in talking with you uh, over these months that we've known each other, I I always kind of get that sense of you know you're Venezuelan. You would love to be able to go back because you know you, you love. You, you love your culture, you love your place, but you you just can't go back. It's too dangerous for you to go back. Yeah. Um, what about uh, other Venezuelans? So one of the things we talk about in this uh, oh, podcast yeah. is like the context. Like you, you mm-hmm. know, this is a, a story that's completely unique to you, but there's other Venezuelans that have come here a tremendous amount recently. Yeah, actually, one of the I'm in an EL program. If it's English learners, one of the students, it's. He also crossed the border for for uh, like similar reasons. Also, the government uh, shoot one of their uh, his properties, like family properties, and they will like um, receive threats against their life. So mm-hmm. they also come here, and yeah, also family from my stepfather or even another Venezuelans that are not related with me. It's pretty much the same problems with the government and like you know that ends in their life being right. directly in danger so they decide to leave yeah and for 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 those in the audience who aren't familiar with the Venezuelan government um, they have a, a evil wicked mean dictator and they are a communist country they are a totalitarian system oh, yeah. which uh, controls totally people's lives and and um and that's that's why it's such a bad government right now mm-hmm. and why people 
uh, are, are having to leave because if you say anything at all or even think something differently than the government wants you to think, you become an enemy of the government and, you know, they'll try to get rid of you in one way or another. Yeah, and it's really sad because, like, um, it's just families being separated, you know? Like, part of my family is still there. Um, another part is not not there, but, like, not with me. Mm-hmm. We just have, and not just us, like, most of Venezuelan families, they just have to say goodbye to each other, and it's really sad. You know, it's a lot of effects, like, that affects people who are in Venezuela right now, and even if they are not there right now, it's still affecting us, you know, as yeah. Venezuelans, even if we don't live in our country anymore. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so from that standpoint, it, it, it's it's very hard, I'm sure, on you, and um, and that's a that's a difficult part of the story. Yeah. Um, well, I'm glad you're here, Maria. Yeah. Um, I've enjoyed talking with you about your story, and the other thing that just amazes me, and you go ahead and tell me this: you speak such, you you speak English very well. Oh, thank you. And so you really didn't know English until you came. A few years ago. Oh, no, absolutely not. Like, I just go say basic things, like, can I go to the bathroom or hello and things like that. But it's not like can I hold a conversation with an English-speaking person. So, yeah. Yeah, It's amazing how fast you've learned the language. And and I see this out of young people um, pretty frequently that get immersed into a a place like this. And, and, uh, but, I mean, if... I'll just tell you, if the uh, the average American English-speaking person just mm-hmm. sat down and started talking, they would never guess that you just um, had not learned any English until just a few years ago. So, yeah, um, and, and I hope you do great things with that. Yeah, me too. Like, I have a lot of, like, I receive a lot of uh, people, like, saying, how do you learn English that fast? And I'm still learning, but, like, I don't know. I just catch it so and, and and i think the other part you have such a positive attitude and you have uh a, a willingness to learn and not be afraid to speak english i think a lot of people mm-hmm. like i know for myself i i used to speak spanish but i don't speak spanish anymore <laughs> but I, I found when i was not scared to make a mistake and just try to start speaking then then it was better but um yeah you, you're not afraid to try to speak english and, and, yeah. and that's a wonderful thing um uh anything else about the story that you want to tell us Mm. Well, um, eventually, um, when I crossed the border, it was only my mom and my brother, like just the three of us. And eventually, um, my aunt and my cousin crossed to like in a different time. I think they crossed in 2022, like in the beginning of January. And then after a month uh, was my grandma. And she crossed the border alone, like she like for herself. And that's for me, that's impressive wow. because like she like she just do everything for herself, like flying to uh, Colombia and then Mexico and then cross the border all alone. Like this is your grandmother. Yeah. She's old like me. Yeah. She she has 70 actually. She's 70 oh, years yeah, old. She has not. She is. Yeah, she, she is, is 70. 70. Yeah. Um, wow, that's pretty incredible. Can you talk at all about the process? Do you want to, or are you able to talk about your process of gaining asylum 
or is that something we should probably steer away from right now? Mm, I can talk about that, not too much, but okay. I can talk about that. Like, it's complicated because obviously um, you request for political asylum, but uh, you have to go to a court and then you, uh, I think you have three courts, like people usually have three, I think. And it's for seeing the judge and explaining your story, like the reason why you are here and why you did something illegal. Right, right, like crossing the border. Okay, so as you said, you became an illegal immigrant. You know that was illegal. You knew it's illegal, but you did yeah. it because you left a place that was trying to kill you. Exactly. And that's what we call asylum. Yeah. Okay, and so that's your goal is mm -hmm. to tell the judge the story. Yeah, and they analyzing and deciding if it's a valid reason to stay here. And, yeah, you have to bring a lawyer with you and... You know, it's kind of like a long process because there are also like another things to do, like trying to get a job permission, you know, and like another things related with that. And you have to go to certain appointments and yeah, it's a long process, but I hope get to in the future get my political asylum. Well, you know, Maria, I, I really hope you get political asylum because from my standpoint, you're the kind of... The, your attitude and your characteristics and your hard work and your effort, um, you're the kind of people that I want to be citizens here, you know, and there's a lot going that goes on in all this, but um, y you have responsibility. You, you understand responsibility, and, and these are the kind of people that, that, um, that we, we need. And, and your story is a very recent story, but many people came to our country looking for opportunity and running away from places sometimes that might might harm them. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I hope and I pray, I pray for you and your family that Thank in you. the future we'll look back at this and go, what a wonderful story this is. But right now I know it's a little bit scary for you. Yeah. And, um, and, but I appreciate you coming on the podcast and talking with us about it. Uh, is there anything else you want to say before we wrap up? Um, I will just say that thank you so much for, like, inviting me to your podcast and have the opportunity to tell my story because I'm not I'm I know I'm not the only one with this experience like it's difficult it's relieving to be in a place that is safe for you but at the same time it's it's emotional it's difficult because you're just leaving everything you knew behind and your people and your family so it's kind of difficult kind of traumatic you could say but, like, I know I'm not the only one. I've, and if another Venezuelan who is like me, you know, another ones who ran away from our country and it's listening to the podcast, I just wanted to say, like, you're not alone. And, yeah, it will, it will be better in the future. So, yeah. Very good. Well, thank you so much, Maria, for being here. And thank you for being an inspiration for me to get this podcast going so that, we can tell these stories because your story is very interesting, uh, very heartfelt, and we wish you the best in, in so all much. that you do. All right. Thank you, Maria.